and welcome to another episode of the Bridges Between Us podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schenker. Today, I am sitting down with Michelle Burke. Michelle is the therapist and owner of Elm Tree Counseling. Intimacy, relationships, and sexual dilemmas are Michelle's specialty. She is a licensed professional counselor and an AASECT certified sex therapist. Today, we'll be talking to her about sex, sex therapy, and relationships while learning about her life. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. The first question I'd love for us to lean into is really if you could just tell us about your life and what made you get to this place where now you care so deeply about relationships and sex and helping people through relationships and sex therapy. Oh, Michelle, I think you're muted. Hello, can you hear me? I can. Okay. All right. I was just saying thank you, Matt. And um, people go through things earlier on in their life that eventually come out later and usually very helpful ways. So for me, I'm my parents had a rough marriage and they went through a divorce. And I didn't necessarily picture myself working with couples at first, but it definitely played out in a way where I love what I do and I think I'm pretty good at what I do. And so the, the feedback from couples, they are like, this is so helpful and I feel so hopeful. So it started with just the, the environment coming from a broken home. And I knew that I wanted to help people and I was pretty sure that I wanted it to be therapy. And so the road of therapy led me to getting my degree and working with all different types of people of all different ages. Once I started the actual counseling work, I had two directions. I wanted to, to specialize in something and I wanted to either specialize in equine therapy or sex therapy, which are pretty different. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So could, could you talk a little bit about why you were drawn towards equine therapy and why you eventually chose sex therapy instead? Yeah. yeah. So mostly because I love uh, being outside and working, being around horses and working with people and animals together. So I just thought what a win-win if I could work with horses while helping people. Um, but there was such a lack of sex therapists and there's um i have to look at the number again because it's always changing but there's around 700 asex sex therapists in the world so there's not many and um even though equine therapy would have been really fun i was still working with a lot of people who were struggling with connection and relationships and you just can't ignore the sexual piece when you're doing that so the lack of need paired with, I was, I'm still drawn towards giving people this non-judgmental environment where they can say and ask anything where they can't, they can't normally talk to people about these things. Um, so that ultimately just led me to choosing the sex therapy route. Mm. And you said when we're helping people with relationships, you really can't avoid talking about sex. It's mm -hmm. a normal and essential aspect of human relationships. And yet I have worked with therapists and talked with mental health professionals before who really would rather prefer that we avoid talking about sex Yes, uh, yes. because it makes, it makes them uncomfortable. And that is yes. something for them to have to work through. And I wonder what are your thoughts on why it is so essential that we have well-trained sex therapists and that as mental health professionals, we are able to lean into those conversations with clients? Well, it's not just therapists either. There's doctors and educators and it's uncomfortable on both ends. So I, I hear a lot of people say, they were not only uncomfortable asking the question, but they didn't want to make their doctor uncomfortable or their therapist uncomfortable. So a lot of things do get missed. And when couples go into counseling, if they see a marriage counselor, and then they come to me later and they say, we, we, it was great. We talked about communication and we addressed certain issues. 
but we didn't touch the sexual piece at all. And they just said it, it just didn't come up or um, the, the therapist didn't quite know what to do with certain things, which is fair because there's some things that not everybody can know everything. But I think if you, even if you as a therapist are not, or you as a client are not, um, <clears throat> with a sex therapist, then you can still ask, you can still bring up certain questions and certain topics and explore it together. And that it's like very normal and healthy to do that too, instead of shy away from a big, big part of someone's life. There's the mental health, the physical health, sexual health, emotional health, spiritual health, all of it. So looking from a holistic place, I would encourage the sexual piece to be explored a little bit. Yeah, I find it so fascinating and really odd when I really think about it from like a philosophical standpoint of our society and how we think about and talk about sex, that it's something that is essential to life. None of us would be here without it. And we spend almost every day having at least a thought about it, if not many thoughts about it. And we have such limiting and limited narratives around what sex is and how we should talk about it and where we should talk about it. And that comes with it, this like cloak of shame where mm -hmm. we then end up judging ourselves and keeping things secret and walking around and suffering in, in silence. Mm -hmm. uh, and really that to me is often happening unnecessarily simply because we are not embracing truer narratives around what sexuality is and leaning into a healthier relationship with our sexuality. So if somebody is happening to be listening to this episode and they're thinking, well, you know, like I really don't have conversations about sex with anyone in my life. What, what might you recommend to them? And what would you say to help them understand why it's important to talk about sex? Yeah, those are great questions. And you said a really, really important word, shame. There are, I can't think of anyone who comes in who doesn't carry some sort of guilt or shame with them when they start talking about what's going on sexually. Whether it's, I feel shame from something that happened in my childhood or my parents never talked about sex or I watch porn or I have this sexual dysfunction I, I wished I have low desire. I feel shame about that. And I feel like I'm broken. So there is so much shame around sex and people feel really alone in it too. They feel like, am I the only one who feels this way or goes through this or struggles with this sexually? The answer is no. And when you talk to other people about your problem, it, it uh, normalizes a little bit and it, you can have much more control over it and feel less isolated with it too. So one avenue of talking to people about it could be your friends. Sometimes people feel comfortable enough with certain friends to bring up a, a sexual concern. And the, the one that comes to mind that's pretty popular, there's um, vaginismus. And that's when the, there's pain with intercourse for females or, and it looks a little bit different for, for everybody, but pain associated with sex is common. And when, when the females I see finally open up to me, and then that allows them to open up to a couple of friends about it, their friends will go, oh, like I have pain with sex, or I, I thought that was normal, or I, I thought I was the only one going through this. So then they have supports in their life with this. And that's one example. But I think the biggest thing is communicating with your partner. If you have a partner and you communicate with them about what's going on, your likes, your dislikes, your turn-ons, your turn-offs, what your sexual history is like and what you would like it to look like in the future. And um, those conversations are hugely important for everyone. And the best thing you can do for your sex life is to talk about it. So I would say definitely talk to your partner about your sexual thoughts and well-being. And then some, some trusted friends too. And sometimes family can even fit into that. But starting the conversation, I think will lead to other people 
being relieved that it was started and they'll have things to share too. Wow. Yeah. Cause I mean, when it comes to shame, there's mm -hmm. such healing that comes from just choosing to, to share what we're experiencing uh, mm -hmm. when we're doing so with somebody that we trust and then just getting to see that they're not judging us and mm -hmm. that the permission that that can offer to other people by sharing um, mm -hmm. to then maybe them to lean in too and to say me too yeah. so it's such a great point you make of you know even if you're even if you're not seeking out therapy or a mental health professional or sex therapy that exploring bringing up conversations about sex with your friends if you feel like maybe you do carry some shame around sex and doing so again with somebody that you trust that is a friend that you that you trust that you could lean into that vulnerability with though i wonder what kind of recommendations do you typically make to clients about starting that conversation with a partner or with a friend like particularly if you know it's not necessarily a couple that's coming to you but it's just one person and they say well you know i'm i'm nervous about bringing this conversation up to my partner Mm, yes. So when we are in session, that makes it much easier. And it's, um, I can guide the conversation and, and people say, well, we, we save some of these conversations for when we come here because they're harder at home. So it might be harder at home, but with practice, it will get, I, th I think the first conversation is the hardest. So once you can get that first one out of the way, it should feel much easier, much lighter. So if it's just one person bringing this to their partner, um, they, it looks a little different for different people. I think some people really like to say, hey, I read this article, like what are your thoughts? Or um, I got this book or I saw this video and like, can we talk about it, about sex? And so it, it gives this common ground to talk about something over. When I give tools for people to take home with them too. I give them worksheets and things that will say like list, list your, what of your five senses really helps bring you into the present moment into the room. So is it a candle? Is it sensual music? So if you, if someone were to just bring that home, I think their partner would be like, where did this come from? But I, I would hope welcome and open to the idea. So I guess that's a more structured way of bringing about a conversation. But I would say a more unstructured way is just to check in with them and, and say, how would you rank your sexual satisfaction at this time? And what can we do to make that better? And what, what do we do that's working? Are you happy with frequency? Um, non-sexual and sexual intimacy are both important. So not just talking about intercourse or orgasm, but what do we do that makes us feel connected overall that is touch and quality time and intimacy on different levels. So it's a lot to, to maybe go home and talk about all of that, but starting the conversation, it can lead to more. And it could just start with, do you feel like we hug enough? Do you feel like we hold hands enough? Do we cuddle? Like, and then building upon that. Mm. It's so powerful. One of the things that came up for me as you were talking is I thought about a relationship I had years ago. And it was probably the first relationship where we actually talked about sex. You know, we in other relationships we had sex, but it was just one of those things that, you know, we didn't talk about maybe mostly because I was uncomfortable talking about it. Um, and in this situation, it was years ago. And she and I had been dating for a, like a month and a half. And she had mentioned something. And then I asked a question. She she was like, Oh, I, you know, there was something that happened last night that I was kind of uncomfortable about, like while we were having sex. And I was like, Oh, could you tell me more about that? Like, yeah, I'm totally here. And I'm listening. Um, and she was she was saying you know I, I was asking you to spank me um and then like there was one spank that was a little bit too hard and i was like oh my gosh i like what could i have done in that moment so that you could have felt more comfortable saying yeah. something and yeah. she she said you know i i don't know i don't think it's necessarily you I, but for some reason i don't feel like i can really say things during sex about what I want and need. 
Um, mm. And like, even if I feel something that's kind of uncomfortable, unless it's really, really uncomfortable, I don't feel like I'm allowed to say something. Um, and meanwhile, while we're having this conversation, we are both like staring through the windshield, like while like I'm driving, oh. like, we are, yeah. we are not looking at each other. <laughs> we're both like warm and like feeling really vulnerable. So it's, it's yeah. kind of funny, um, but it was, it was an uncomfortable conversation, but it was so, I was so glad that we had that, that otherwise, like I would have never known that she, she felt that way. Um, yes. And that then we were able to open up this conversation of like, oh, like, okay, what can I do to create more safety for you to feel like you can speak up for your needs um, during sex, before sex, about things that aren't even related to sex? Because it was deeper than that. It yes. wasn't just about things happening during sex. It was, it was about her overall emotional and intimacy needs. And yeah. thinking about that, I think about sex therapy as a concept. And I know when I talk to my friends, um, their idea of what sex therapy is, is really like tantric. Like they, they mm. imagine people are coming to see a sex therapist and there are just like swings oh. hanging and mirrors all around the room. And there are just whips and chains and blindfolds. And it's yeah. like, it's like 50 shades of gray, like volume three. Um, and yes. I, yes. I wonder, could you talk to us a little bit? Like, how do you explain what sex, sex therapy is and how much of your work is really like tantric and sort of fitting along in that in that realm and how much of it is really around communication and safety and even trauma oh yeah good question um i haven't actually been asked that by a client in a long time i think people are starting to understand what sex therapy is a little bit but in the, when i first started people would say are we gonna have to touch during the session and what, what will you be doing? And I was like, oh, no, 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 it's just regular counseling with the added sexual knowledge on top of it. So there's no, it's a discussion really is it's the same. It would look the same as any marriage counseling. We just don't avoid certain topics. And I have the background to come in with knowledge around sexual things to help say, this is common or this isn't try this, try that. Um, so my, my approach is talk therapy and, um, I like to give people things to try and work on in between sessions. So there might be some tantra worksheets, something to read, a touch exercise at home that I would recommend. And then in the session, it's very much regular looking therapy, um, so yeah, there's, there's not much, much difference, but I do, I do have a lot of trauma work that happens and I do some EMDR stuff too with people. Uh, so that's, uh, I guess a little different than talk therapy, but, um, if, if there were anything that would be the biggest difference that people maybe wouldn't have expected I think it's just the, I've never told anyone this before. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this. And then they say it. And then there's no judgment or shame that comes from me. And I go, oh yeah, lots of people. 98% of people fantasize about other people. That's okay. And then we talk about it. So it is very much talk therapy. Um, and there, are, there would be nothing that's happening in the session, though I do encourage those things to happen at home. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you're saying that it's, it can be really helpful to go to see a professional specifically, if you have some, some, some things that aren't quite clicking in your sex life, or even if you're just looking to expand your sex life, it can be really mm -hmm. helpful to go to a sex therapist who is skilled and has a background in all kinds of knowledge that can be helpful to add to the conversation but most of all is an absolute non-judgmental space to explore some of those conversations and it can be helpful because it creates some structure that makes some of that vulnerability a bit easier for the partners and that it's important to really just be having these conversations within your relationships with your partners um, yes. and as as you're talking it really sounds like 
what you really are advocating for is giving people more permission to embrace more fully all of who they are, which includes their sexuality. Yes. Yeah. Right. And they're, they're tough conversations to have when you, you are at home and you're not sure where to go with them and you feel stuck and then you start to feel frustrated and then resentful. And so by the time people come in, they're just like, I don't know where to go from here. So it can, it's such a relief where they can just both look at me and just be like, help, <laughs> like, where do we go? And so that's what we do. And could you share with us, what are, what are some of those tips? Like, I'm so curious, what are some of the like basic tips that you are often giving people after their first or second session? So if we talk about specifically couples, though, even individuals, there's relation, we have relationships with so many people, with coworkers, with our kids, with our friends, with our neighbors. So we're, we're talking about relationships in general too. Um, and then intimacy, like, can you have intimacy with people or are your walls up? And um, what, what would it be like if you could have deeper conversations or accept touch or be present and have quality time instead of be distracted with your phone. So um, we, we start with a foundation. We try and build this foundation for intimacy. And um, that would look like set aside electronics and have fun connecting time together, be friends, do what you did when you dated or for individuals, or do what you enjoy, have a hobby go, go try something new. Like there's, there's the foundation of like, am I, do I feel happy and healthy and fulfilled? And then if we, as a couple, if we start to add on to that, what is your non-sexual affection? Like, do you, are you kind to each other? Do you talk about interesting things together? Do you lean on each other for emotional support? Do you cuddle on the couch um, when you are watching TV or are you on total opposite sides of the room or even in the same room? <laughs> so building upon non-sexual affection would then be the sexual affection. And we don't talk about yet intercourse or orgasm. We're talking about what feels good, what brings you pleasure, what, where do you like to be massaged and what sort of touch do you like? And um when, when, again, when you were dating, like what built that desire up and what could you add that's new that you haven't tried before? So we have all of these layers and we build upon them. I, I really try and focus on the foundation so that when we do get to the, so how often do you wanna have sex a week and what would make it more satisfying? That is at the top of, it's, it's going to be successful and it can work because all of all the other pieces are there. Wow. It's interesting as you're, as you're talking, you know, I, I had asked for, for tips that you typically give clients and I don't really think you gave any that were specific to uh, intercourse, which might be surprising to somebody who's listening to an episode about sex therapy. And I also <laughs> think it's, it's so important uh, because really it sounds like what you're highlighting is that sex is an aspect of connection and expression and just being human. And so in order to really deepen or expand or heal one's relationship with sex or how they use sex within their relationship, uh, it really is about vulnerability and mm -hmm. openness and connecting with and really trusting pleasure and leaning into and exploring that. And along the way, uncovering any sort of shame or trauma or fears uh, or judgments that are getting in the way of that connection, even with just ourself and our pleasure and our desires. And, and that can be as simple as like, our desire to just like want to hold hands with our partner. Mm -hmm. um, and can we like acknowledge that and 
look at any fears we have in the way of us even voicing that want and desire, which, you know, in, in my work with couples, I, I've seen so often, which always astounds me that people can be married for years um, and they can be terrified to, you know, even just admit that they like want their partner to hold their hand, that they can feel like, I just, I don't even want to say that to them, that it can feel so vulnerable. It's like, you've, you've been, you've been living in this house with this person for 10 years. Uh, and yet there, there are these fears that have come up either from resentments or unsaid conversations or just for, or some stories that have just been carried around that have turned into these, these fears of leaning into vulnerability, or sometimes it's just built up years and years and years of, not leaning into that vulnerability for one reason or another, and it just deepens. And then it's so hard to reach out. And I swear the loneliest clients that I work with are my married clients, not mm -hmm. all of my married clients, but the loneliest people I've ever worked with have been married because there's yeah. something about being right there with somebody that you so desperately want to see you so deeply and then not feeling deeply seen by them. Yes, yes. You nailed it. Everything you said was like, I was just like, yes, the big words, vulnerability, pleasure, loneliness. It's, uh, I think over time, the, I'm sure you're familiar with the bids of connection and missed bids of connection. And so with Gottman stuff, I think people have these missed bids and so they'll throw something out there. Like maybe they'll reach for their hand, but the person, or they'll come, come over for a hug. Like I think a common one is people are getting ready in the morning and their spouse wants to, wants a hug and they're like, I'm busy. And they kind of like brush it off. So these missed bids are just, they, they add up and they take a toll and then people are guarded and they can't be vulnerable anymore. And you're right. You have to be vulnerable to have a good sex life and to feel connected and close and intimate. Uh, yeah. So fighting loneliness is so important right now too, especially with increased isolation for people. It, it would be great to be able to have bids for connection with your partner and have them received. And then them try to connect with you and have it received and it snowball in the right direction. Yeah. So I, uh, before our interview, I, I Googled top myths of sex therapy and I'm curious, yeah. do you, do you know what the top one is that continually kept coming up? <sighs> A myth for sex therapy. The number one myth that kept coming up was that you'll have to have sex in front of the therapist. What? <laughs> so have you ever had clients that you said you have to have sex in front of me? Can we dispel that one right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And none of them have ever asked you either. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So funny. With, with the clients that you work with, how, how many of them are specifically couples and how many are just men or just women or gender non-conforming. I mean, how do you, how do your client demographics tend to break down? Many more couples have been coming in lately. So now I'd say more than half are couples and they want to focus on desire discrepancy and life after kids and long-term relationships, opening up the marriage, different lifestyles, fantasies, communication, arguments about household chores, aging. So we cover a lot there. There's a lot of that with couples. And then um, for individuals, it's um, pretty split down the middle, I'd say. There's there's definitely gender non-conforming, but there's a lot of men who have sexual dysfunctions and then equally amount of women who have sexual dysfunctions and they're trying to for themselves better those problems and fix them so that they can be in a relationship or so that they can be more fulfilled in their relationship sure you know i 
there's a question I have about men and sexuality. And I think the best way really to explore it is to root it in some of my experience, which is, you know, for years, I mean, really until you know, like even recently, like four or five years ago, um, I, I grew up as a teenager in this world. Uh, and so I, I encountered porn really early mm -hmm. on. Um, mm -hmm. And and then as a teenager, the only conversations I really had about sex were at school. Um, and I was kind of shown some graphs and pictures uh, through a slideshow with a PE teacher who was very intense um, and wasn't necessarily someone who was encouraging open communication and conversation. Um, no. And the, the message the message we got was essentially if you have sex, you can get an STD. So wear a condom. And if the person you're having sex with isn't on birth control, they can get pregnant. So worry about those things. And then the other message that I got from porn was, you know, it's sex has to be intense and wild. And it is the guy's primary responsibility to perform well. And yes. then the only other space where I was exploring sex at all, of course, was with my guy friends talking about it. Um, yes. And, you know, from like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, just like learning interesting vocabulary words as boys tend to do around the cafeteria table or on the yeah. uh, like playing basketball. And then people yeah. say, what? Your older brother did what? Oh, my gosh. What did she do? Uh, and having those conversations. And then it's funny because I remember having a lot of those conversations. Um, but it was only ever like a space of bragging, you know, as often as boys start having conversations about sex really early on, there's really also the, the added aspect of that masculine shame around emotions and vulnerability. So yes, they're talking about sexuality, but it's not like, oh man, I, you know, I had sex for the first time. I lost my virginity and like, guys, like I... I was, I only lasted like 30 seconds and I feel really embarrassed about it. It, it. Instead, it's usually like the opposite. Like if that happened, you're never telling your guy friends about it. Yes. In fact, you're probably lying and tell, making up some, making up a story like, yes. oh yeah, man, it was awesome. Like I, I lasted like two hours, man. <laughs> yeah. and, you're just, and, and ultimately what that does is like reinforce the same narrative from porn, which is yeah. that a guy's relationship with sex is performative and is representative of their status. Uh, yes. And I know for me as a teenager and even in my early twenties, like I, I saw sex that way. Even when I was in committed loving relationships, I would feel anxious and it was hard for me to really enjoy sex. Even like I would look forward yes. to it and like sex, like most of us do. And yet there also was this anxiety that, really kept me from feeling as connected with my partner. And as yeah. soon as we would start having sex, it would feel like there was this sort of barrier between us. And suddenly rather than connecting with them, it's more so like I'm like I'm performing, almost like I'm running a race and somebody's timing and evaluating me. So yes. I wonder if if you see that often with with male clients and how exactly you help them move through some of those fears and limited stories about sexuality and how you help them really expand their relationship with sex. Yes. You bring up so many good points and everything you say, there's so many, um, every day, I, every single day, that's something that comes up. Um, wow. So I'm just thinking like where to start. Yes. When that is, that is the sex ed that, that people get. So we'll talk about boys. Like that's the sex ed they get. It's, um, porn and, um, school or religion and their friends and, um, and that's it. So there it's usually sex negative messages, uh, fear-based, um, fantasy and unrealistic. So, you're given this foundation that's uh, unhealthy and not helpful. And then, and then you're just told to like, okay, go figure it out. Like how go, go have a successful, pleasurable sex life. So um, porn is fantasy. Porn is not realistic. Porn is edited. Um, 
and and porn is is sex ed for all almost every boy and a lot of females too so with that sex ed you're taught uh not about foreplay really you're taught just how hard can the penis get how long can it last uh how can how can i perform um it's rough you're you're exposed to different fantasies that you wouldn't have normally thought of so those are put in your head and then um it absolutely creates performance anxiety and it creates um which kind of gets into another topic too but you have to I'll, I'll say this other topic too, but I won't go into it too deeply unless you want me to. So when, when people discover porn and then they're masturbating to it, they're usually at home in their bedroom or in the bathroom and they're, or wherever the computer is, and they're trying to finish as quickly as possible. So they're training their mind and their body to orgasm fast. So it's like erection orgasm and that's it. Boom, boom, done. And so you are taught to do that with intercourse too. Um, so and and as you mentioned that, it's like this tragic and also sort of hilarious irony for boys within the society, which is the narratives that they get with their social groups and through porn yeah. is that as a man, their responsibility is to, um, bring intensity and to last a long time during sex. Yep. Meanwhile, they feel intense shame about masturbating, which is something that the vast majority of adult humans do on the planet um, regularly. Yeah. And uh, they feel this shame about it. And so they are running and doing it as quickly as they can, yes. which then yeah. is actually making it more difficult for them to even meet this impossible yes. standard that they have set for themselves exactly yes exactly so more shame more embarrassment more isolation um but yes it, it's then leading to performance anxiety which is a really big deal because the focus is on the penis can it get hard enough and stay hard enough for intercourse and it's a, it's too bad that that's the focus because um there's so much that's being missed. And, and with the performance anxiety, as soon as you get in your head, you can't perform or, or maybe is not as well as you'd like. So maybe it's just that you're not connecting or being as present as you'd like to be, but maybe it means you can't get an erection or you have premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation. So it can affect all of those things. And then your partner's expectations might be that too, because that's what she was taught. So she's solely focused on the penis as well. And so all the focus is there. Performance anxiety becomes a big issue. So if you think of it as a, as this, instead of what, what it is, what, you, what you've been taught and what people are doing, if you think of it as a soccer field, instead of the goals being orgasm or uh, erection, intercourse and orgasm, you remove those goals and you just focus on the soccer field and you play around that soccer field and that's pleasure focused. You just, what feels good. Wow. Like even just as you say that, that feels like so relieving. Just, I'm like thinking about all the past versions of myself throughout my life and like partners uh, that I've had. I, yeah. I dated someone uh, for a while and she she had never experienced an orgasm through intercourse. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. she carried a lot of shame about that. Um, and she felt like she was doing something wrong. And quite yeah. frankly, at the time when we had the conversation and she first told me that, I then also felt like I was doing something wrong. And yeah. like, I felt like, you know what? I just, it's like an insult to me. I need to make this happen. Um, yeah. And man, like we, we had to really feel through that. And I'm not sure that we really did have conversations about that well and feel through that well. Um, and just that concept of remove, removing those goals to remove that pressure, which then actually opens up the possibility of those things even happening. Um, yes. I wonder, could you, could you speak a little bit to clients that you've worked with that are in 
that space, specifically women who may have never experienced orgasm before, or at least yes. not, not experienced vaginal orgasm through intercourse, um, but also anyone who maybe hasn't experienced orgasm before. And how do you help them, one, not carry immense shame about that, and two, then begin to really explore their sexuality more? Yep. Yep. So there's, there's just as many misunderstandings for, for women, um, and lack of sex ed there too, a huge lack of sex education. So only 4% of women orgasm through intercourse alone. And even that 4% who orgasm through intercourse, their, their clitoris is probably being stimulated somehow. So the, um, can we pause that? Can we pause that for one moment? I have yeah. never heard that statistic before. That okay. is remarkable. Only 4% of women have orgasm through intercourse alone. Yep. So without like a vibrator on top of the intercourse or something. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I knew that that number was, you know, not near like 80 or 90%, but I did not know that was 4%. Four. That is, yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, how, how many clients come into your office or work with you and carry the expectation that they're supposed to be having orgasm through intercourse alone. And then like hear that statistic. And it's just like, Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. Well, not only through intercourse alone, but they say, and I need to have orgasm in this time frame, and we need to orgasm at the same time. So it's just like this huge expectation, immense pressure. You said the word pressure, pressure and expectation are the two biggest killers to desire and arousal. So we need to remove all expectations and all pressures for pleasure to even be the focus. So that would, um, the pressure and expectation to have vaginal orgasm is not helpful either. Wow. And so yeah. some, somebody sits down with you and you give them that statistic and they say, okay, well, like, how do I begin to, like, I, I want to experience more orgasms and like, in, in my partnership and through sex, I, I want to experience more orgasms. Like, how do I begin to even do that? Yes. So is it large, possible even? Yes. And it is, it is, but it does take practice. And that's why masturbation is so important and self-exploration because the better, you know, yourself, then you can teach your partner those things too and then learn about them. But um, the largest sexual organ is the brain. So that's why a lot of guys watch porn because they're very visual. So that helps stimulate the brain. But for women, um, and this is a generalization, but usually the women I talk to are more drawn towards reading erotica. So a lot of women will start by reading erotica and then getting into a relaxed, calm, safe environment and practice different types of touch. And again, without the goal of it being orgasm, but with just the goal of like, what feels good? Does the left, the right, what kind of pressure with lube, without lube, toy or no toy, internal or not. So there's all different types of touch and not just on genitals either, like inner thighs and breasts and arms and hair and lighting up all the different senses and all the different areas of the body. And being able to learn how to orgasm is a bonus. And it's, it is, I think it is still important to do because orgasm equality is an issue. Not, um, not enough women are orgasming as, as we're getting their orgasm like the men are. Um, but if, um, if, if like one other thing, I guess I would say to that is there's a lot of shame or judgment that the women put on themselves who come in about, well, I can only orgasm with a vibrator or uh, I can only orgasm with external stimulation. It's like, yes, well, you're very normal. That's, that is what they're for. And they're, they're the same. We have the same genitals, males and females are just organized in different ways. So we just need to know as women, how do you, how to stimulate and utilize our genitals the way that they're organized because porn already teaches us how the men do it. Yeah. Wow. And so much of 
this conversation that what's coming up for me is that when we're talking about working through fears or judgments that we have that are limiting our sex life, it's really about leaning into vulnerability, letting go of beating ourselves up and allowing ourselves to lean into uh, exploring our desires and our pleasures. And it's not about making any desires or pleasures wrong. And instead mm-hmm. it's about connecting with them. And so if there, if there is a way that you're able to connect with, there is a way for you to be able to orgasm. It's not about shaming that aspect of yourself. Uh, right. It's about exploring like, okay, what do I like here? And if you want to expand more ways for you to lean into pleasure, if you want to expand more things that you like, great. Um, and it's actually really helpful to start with what works. It's actually really helpful to start with what do you like and then explore and experiment and get creative and just curiously, what else do I like? How might I expand this? And it's really about expanding desire is what I'm hearing. And I wonder, um, as we get close to wrapping up here, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about couples at this time who might feel like desire is dwindling, um, that, you know. They've been living together through a pandemic maybe uh, mm-hmm. and have been in close proximity and maybe not interacting with a whole lot of other humans and spending day in and day out. And they can they can feel like they sometimes are just roommates or friends. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could speak to how do we keep that desire alive and how do we make it rekindle? Yes. So something that shocks people when they come in, one of the first things as homework is um, we're like, okay, so don't have sex. Intercourse is taken off the table. And they are, their job is to focus on connecting again, going on dates, doing something fun together, finding a hobby. Um, So that would take care of having, having more, maybe going on walks, having dinner together having time that's just focused on emotional connection. And then for the physical connection, again, intercourse is off the table, but they're still encouraged to touch throughout the day and hug and flirt and then give massages and explore each other's bodies. So if they're comfortable doing so, it would be um, touch, have touch in ways that feel good for you, touch in ways that feel good for your partner, explore parts of the body that you haven't touched in a a while and be curious about the different parts of their bodies and make out and do everything that builds that desire up and then don't follow through with it. Just enjoy it and then build, build back onto that. Um, desire like that spark, which is lost. It is lost over time. And so trying to get that back is like, take away the pressure and expectation of intercourse. And if you enjoy making out, if you enjoy um, sensual massages, if you enjoy masturbating each other, like do that and then just have it be that, have it be something that's going to leave you wanting more, leave you feeling connected and positive and wanting more. Um, So yeah, we have a lot of conversations about um, take away anything that's currently negative and just putting on pressure and add back in the fun and the connecting pieces and then build onto that. So taking away things that are adding pressure or judgment uh, Mm -hmm. and adding back in the fun and the curiosity and the exploring and the play. And Mm -hmm. also I'm hearing this idea of introducing some fun boundaries uh, because really, really leaning into like the idea Esther Perel talks about all the time, the paradox of intimacy and, and desire, that desire requires an aspect of mystery in order to have that wanting. And so Uh, when you're talking about, you know, making out or touching your partner and then putting in this boundary of not following through to allow that desire to really build uh, and putting in boundaries playfully in your relationship so that you can create space, that relationships aren't just about 
deepening and deepening and deepening connection. It's also about understanding the space in between. Yes, and there, there's like one more important piece that I just want to throw out there. Please. Usually when we take the pressure and expectation of intercourse off the table, the couple then feels so surprised, but also relieved. And they go, oh, so we we can randomly kiss on a Tuesday morning and it, and we not have to worry about it leading to sex, or we can cuddle naked under a blanket on the couch without any pressure that we have to act on it. And so that helps. And then once you start going, oh, it's like fun to kiss you and it was nice to touch you. A lot of people expect there to be spontaneous desire. So desire, arousal, orgasm to be the pattern. But for a lot of people, especially women, it's actually arousal precedes desire. So it's arousal, desire, orgasm. So if you can get in a space where you're touching and enjoying each other and the arousal's there, the desire will follow. So we're trying to focus more on arousal than desire for that to happen too. Wow. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the episode today and it's so great to just connect with you and meet with, meet you. Uh, I know I learned a bunch of things from this conversation. This was so fun for me. Uh, if people have been listening and they want to learn more about you or if they want to learn more about sex therapy or maybe if they're even looking for some resources for just deepening the intimacy within their relationships, where might you direct people? Definitely my website, elmtreecounseling.com, E-L-M-T-R-E-E counseling.com. And I have on there all sorts of recommendations from books to toys to articles. So um, my website would hopefully be a good resource for all different types of people and questions. Awesome. All right, well, thank you again. And everybody, thank you for listening and take care.